Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram. Welcome to Back to School Again, the show for midlife learners recorded at the Norquest College Innovation Studio. We talk with midlife learners about their educational journey, sharing their stories about how they are balancing the demands of school, work, and family, and where they hope their educational pursuits will take them. My guest today is Daryl Pidner. Not many people can claim a move from the world of arts to the world of business, or as I like to call it, from artist to accountant. But that's exactly what Daryl did. Following some midlife turmoil, he decided to leave the drama of the arts world for the predictable and somewhat less dramatic world of business, accounting, and auditing. It was close to a decade-long journey that started with an MBA and included a CFE, Certified Fraud Examiner's Designation, as well as a Certified Management Accounting Designation. Welcome to the podcast, Daryl. Thanks, Katrina. Good to be here. Great. Well, Daryl, let's start with your career in the arts first. I know so many young people who dream of being an artist or working in the arts, and then either their inner voice tells them, don't do it, or their outer (laughs) voice, namely a parent, tells them not to do it. But that wasn't the case with you. So tell us about how you decided to work in the arts and what your time was like in that world. Uh, well, first of all, there was an outer voice in the form of a parent that was telling me oh, not, really? not to. So <laughs> that that did exist as part of it. Um, well, uh, I got into the arts. I guess it goes back to, you know, as a, as a kid, um, I, I grew up in that little town just north of Edmonton, which was much smaller back then. And I was sort of the awkward kid, and I never really fit. And for, for reasons we won't go into here, I ended up being asked not to go back to high schools in St. Albert. And I ended up uh, at Shep because it was at the, on the bus route. And I ended up in the drama program at Rochep High School in grade 11. And that was sort of the first time in a long time I landed someplace where I fit and felt comfortable. So I, I, I was in high school. I did the drama program. I got out of school. I was working. I was actually working um, in retail. I was on the management track with dialects and tip top and all of that. And an old girlfriend got me a job at what was then called Stage West Dinner Theater as a production assistant. And as soon as that opportunity came up, I, I remember I went and talked to the the director there. His name was Bill Fisher. And he said, well, can you work for this much money? It was some ridiculously small amount of money. And I didn't care. I just said, yeah, I can do that. And uh, found myself being a production assistant at Stage West. And that was sort of where it started. I, I guess I got into the, the whole theater thing because it was a, a comfortable place for me to be that I learned about in, uh, in high school. So you found yourself fitting into that world, and you spent quite a bit of time there. You spent a couple of decades in, yeah, in was, the theater world. I was 20 years in the theater and festival and sort of the film world here. I uh, um, Over that period of time, I think I worked for pretty well everybody who was producing shows at the time. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly, it, it can be a really dynamic uh, environment to work in. Uh, there's a lot of um, it's, it's very project-based, so there's a lot of churn. There's a lot of going from one project to the other, working with different groups of people, at least in the performing arts. I can't speak for the visual arts or, or other disciplines, but uh, there's a lot of churn. I, w- I was lucky to have worked with some excellent people uh, and some not-so-excellent people. Um, I've worked on, I, I think I did 12 Fringe Festivals, and I produced a bunch of wow. stuff and lost a bunch of money and, you know, <laughs> did, did all of that regular that regular kind of stuff. Um, I was a 
treasurer of the union for a while, the IATSE union that represents tax. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, you had to do a lot. You had to do a lot to to, to make a decent living. It like, sounds sounds very familiar coming into the arts myself. Then something happened. You hit your 40s, and it sounds like you had some big life changes happen at that point. Can you take us back to that time in your life and tell us what's going on for you? Okay. Um, well, I, I remember... I don't want to go into all of the ugly details of certain parts of it, but um, I remember once uh, uh, looking at one of those uh, magazine articles on here are the 10 top stressors that you can experience in your life. You know, and it had things like uh, having a child, buying a house, getting divorced, death in the family, blah, blah, blah. And I just sort of checked off all 10 of these things. Oh my I just kind of went down this list and I said, okay, well, that was the, <laughs> in the last five, I said, you call those stressful? Those aren't stressful. <laughs> I mean, that's just, right? So I was kind of feeling, um, and and I was working really hard and there was, I had a, it was a rough few years. And I had a soft offer from uh, a fellow friend of mine who went out to Stratford, and he was running the production department out there. And he said, why don't you come out, come work for me? And it really made me stop and pause and sort of look at stuff and say, okay, well, I'm not leaving my son. Um, My father was now on his own, so I I wasn't going to leave him. So those two people probably more than anything. And, and the other thing is I was, I was 40 and I was like, okay, so you're going to, you're going to pack it all up. You're going to go someplace and you're going to start over. Uh, really? Are you going to do that? Um, so before I decided actually to go back to school, I just decided to stop and I just decided it was time to, time to go to ground if you like. And, uh, uh, spent like a year sleeping. (laughs) I just, I literally, I just sort of hunkered down and, and stopped. Um, so so that's sort of that period of time. You know, this this issue of working in the arts and just kind of being so immersed in that world and, and you know, in some cases leading to, to burnout. This is a conversation I've had with other people who've worked in that industry. And uh, where I teach at McEwen, it's something that we try and talk to our students about. Do you think it's somewhat inevitable in that field or do you think there are strategies in, in, and ways to prevent that for people? I don't think it's specific to that field. Um and I've learned that since I've been in other fields. I think um, it's just, it's different. Um, in other fields, I've, I've, I've witnessed and seen people who sort of suffer the frog in the water kind of syndrome where they, you know, they get into their work and they get into cycles and a couple years go by and they've just sort of got tilted out. They've gotten sort of whacked out of, out of balance and, and, lot, and, and then they, they fry, right? And then they burn out that way. Um, in the performing arts, um, a lot of the burnout happens because of the, the ups and downs uh, of the business um, uh, and of the actual action of, of, of perf- mounting shows. So there's all this energy that comes in, all these people show up, uh, all this excitement happens. Okay, here we go. We're going we're gonna to do the show. Opening night is here. You're doing your rehearsals. You're planning. You're putting things together. You perform it. Uh, closing night comes, and the next day it's over. Like everybody's gone. Yeah. And then it happens again. If you're lucky enough to, to, to work steadily, and as I was getting near the, like the last half of my career, I was, I was working steadily. But if you're not, you know, it, it can be over and then you lose that support system and then it, another one comes and then it goes away and it comes and it goes away. And it's a constant sort of surge of hellos and goodbyes and excitement and then completion and then 
there's always critics and there's you know there's there's all that other kind of dynamic around yeah. it. Sounds like this great emotional roller coaster. Yeah, it, it is. And 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 in terms of ways to deal with it, you know, everybody sort of has their different ways. I'd suggest that martinis is not probably the <laughs> best not the, the best way, way <laughs> as, as exciting as that can be, but um, you know, and some people work out, some people really keep a rigorous yeah. schedule and and all of that stuff, but um, and the other thing that burns you out in the arts is you know that many of us are used to like a regular gig with benefits and paid vacation those kind of things that come with a regular I I would submit that 80% of the people in in the arts don't have that so there's a sense of security or insecurity you know what if you need to get your teeth done like what what if you have some unexpected there's there's some that that adds to a stress level uh in in that world as well and these are really good clues about why you made some of the next choices that you made. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your educational journey. Um, you made a pretty big change in deciding on an MBA. What was it that you uh, you wanted to do in terms of achieving a, a business degree? What was that all about? Well, um, so while I was um, sleeping <laughs> for that year uh, and, and just sort of taking stock, um, in that period of time, I was really fortunate that I was uh, a member of the University of Alberta Senate, and uh, that gave me a, a, a view and a look at the university that that was a little bit special. And uh, um, our chancellor at the time, John Ferguson, was fabulous at getting us walking around the campus and looking at different faculties and seeing things. And um, the whole mantra back then of, of, uh, of Senate was lifelong learning, the importance of lifelong learning, the importance of lifelong learning in the community, et cetera, et cetera. So that, you know, put the university front and center. Um, one of the uh, other things that I hadn't talked about in here, but early in, uh, in my late 20s, I also got uh, some education as a computer programmer. And I learned how to do some database programming, et cetera. So I had a little company, and I wrote little databases for all the little arts companies that I worked with because they couldn't afford real programmers and all of that stuff. So I did all of that. So I had my little production company, computer company. So I had kind of a business mind, right? I I had my GST number and my blue line accounting book and all of this stuff (laughs) that, you know, I kept track of to to handle the freelance side of of my life. So I, I kind of I, I fancied myself as being a little bit of a, a an entrepreneur or a business guy. I, I'm proud to say that I had one of the first software startup failures in, <laughs> in, in the early '90s on some 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 software that I wrote and tried to commercialize. Blah blah blah. So uh, I, I thought I knew. Uh, I thought I, I had a good head for it. And lastly, like the, the MBA made the most sense. I I, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I, 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 even with all of this, this uh, sort of support around me and exposure to different things, I, I didn't have a driving want to be something. And I knew that at my age, trying to be a technical, like trying to learn a specific skill set was going to be limiting. So I had a phrase, any road will get you there if you don't know where you're going. Uh-huh. So just get moving. Just just go. And uh, so uh, the only really substantial thing I did while I was sleeping was study for that MCAT exam and, uh, and go write it and, and get accepted into the MBA program here. So, and I, 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 I decided to go back full time. And that was another thing about, about it was 
I knew that if I had gone back part-time, you know, I would have, I'd never finish it. I'd get distracted, right? So I'm, if, if you add it up between September of one year and the April, end of April the following year when you finish the program, it's 20 months. I said, okay, it's yeah. 20 months of my life. I'm, I'm just going to do this. And the full-time program, I'm imagining that's an in-person kind of experience. Oh, yeah. 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 And so what was it like for you in your early 40s walking in to that classroom? Well, I was, I was, I was uh, of the senior vintage by at least six <laughs> years and probably at least 10 or 12 years older than the average. So there's an age thing there. Um, what was it like? I don't... I. I don't know if I remember, and I don't know if that's because I'm trying to block things out. <laughs> or, or uh, it, But it was exciting. You know, like, I mean, it was uh, um, equal parts exciting and terrifying, I yeah. guess is maybe a way to put it. Was there anyone else there that was sort of in your demographic? There's one, the, the closest was one guy who was five or six years younger than I am. Oh, wow. And then another guy who was about that age, yeah. 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 But uh, people were... A lot more formal, <laughs> you know. So, so it took a while to, um, to to find a place there. Yeah. Right. And so 20, uh, 20 months. That's that's a long time. You know, that's the better part of two years, and you're mm-hmm. doing this full time. Mm-hmm. How did you sustain yourself in terms of um, your own motivation to keep going? What what things? What strategies were you applying just to kind of keep yourself focused and going on this journey? Well, sustaining myself financially was was okay because my theory of any road will get you there uh, if you don't know where you're going paid off in the sense that between the first and the second year I got a job with the auditor general's office they were trying something new and they were trying to get some new kind of thinking into the office and they were looking for system thinkers and somehow I fluked my way into a a job there Um, so uh, I managed to, I was, I was working then again part-time for the, for the second year of school. So financially, I, I, I lucked out uh, in that sense. Um, I don't know, I'm kind of stubborn. I, um, um, I, I, didn't, I, don't, I didn't have like real s- strategy other than just, okay, let's get this done, what's right. next? I'm fairly organized. I'm fairly good at, you know, keeping things sort of lined up and moving. So Yeah. So once you jumped in, you're kind of all in. Yeah. 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 Once once yeah. once you're in, you're going. You're kind of yeah. kind of making a, a big commitment. So, you know, the only person you really have to let down is yourself. So yeah. So, right. Yeah. And that's so your your job uh, at the Auditor General, because I'm I'm curious about the auditing piece and the certified fraud examiner designation and then eventually the CMA as well. Mm-hmm. Was that as a result of, of that job? Where yeah. did that come from? Yeah. Yeah, that came from the came from that gig. So part of what we were doing, um, part of what the Auditor General at the time Fred Dunn was trying to do was develop um, a part of it was a forensic sort of area, and my direct boss uh, Ed and I did some some forensic work in GOA. So the CFE is a is sort of the one kind of designation that you can get that that covers forensic stuff. So that that was the first one I got, and then the uh, uh, the CMA came uh, shortly after that. And how did you find going from the arts world and and having that set of transferable skills and bringing that to auditing? I mean, it seems like such a different world from my perspective. Or did you find that there were any similarities at all? The the similarity, and and so the the one transferable skill, I was always working with a script. 
And so in, in, in the theater or film or whatever you're doing, you're, you're always working with a script. And the script is fairly, is fairly you know, direction. It's, it's the direction of, a, it's the words, it's the direction, it's everything that you're doing. Um, when you're looking at a system or you're walking into a new environment, uh, they have their scripts too. You know, people have their templates, they have their reporting uh, formats, they have their vocabulary, they have their language. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really quite quick at, at picking up, okay, this is this environment, this is how this re- environment represents itself, this is how this environment reports, measures, all of that stuff. So moving, being good with language and being good with what language says and does is, is, a, is an important thing and a transferable skill. So soft skills, I think, transfer regardless of what industry you're coming from and going into. If you, if you have soft skills, you need them wherever you go. So Yeah, so. that's a really interesting perspective in, in terms of the script. Um, I do want to talk about work-life balance because I know <laughs> that's something that comes up all the time when I'm talking to midlife learners. And this wasn't a short journey. I mean, when you add up the MBA and the CMA and the CFE, we're talking the better part of your 40s here. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering about how you kept that all together. You had family obligations, I would imagine. You had work, you had school. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that look like for you at this time? Well, for the most part, um, family obligations were my young son and my dad. Um, I was single-ish <laughs> for most of it. Um, like I said, I, 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 I try not to, a couple things, try not to sweat the small stuff, um, manage my expectations. My academic, uh, my academic, uh, uh, Baseline was 75%. I, I wasn't one of those students that had to get 95 and 100 on everything. Uh, I, I was more interested in understanding the concept behind whatever it was I was taking uh, and figuring out how to apply it and all of that stuff than, than acing, you know, all of that. So that uh, I gave myself some space that way. And you just sort of let it let it work you know, like you you figure out what's what works for you and what doesn't i had an odd habit of uh um waking up at about three o'clock in the morning and working for an hour and a half and what i do is i there'd be no email no correspondence no reading that was a chunk of time when i would do whatever writing whatever i had to produce that's when i'd do it and i was probably about 300 percent value at that time of day because it was quiet it was focused I knew what it was and then when that piece was done you know have a nap sort of and then start start my day it didn't have to be anywhere until whatever the first class was yeah, for example that's amazing so, that you're able to do that kind of you know pretty much in the middle of the night and get that focused yeah yeah, yeah. and and because I find any and and maybe that's an, another way to, to to manage this stuff is figure out what works for you, right? Because I find by five or six in the afternoon, I'm I'm toasted. I'm not working in yeah. my brain anymore. You yeah. Know, so. Now you mentioned that you're super stubborn, so I don't I don't know if this question's <laughs> applicable or not. But was there any point where you thought about quitting or not finishing one program or another? Yeah, I was so part of the CMA before. Because I had no accounting uh, in any of my transcripts or anything, uh, in order to to take the strategic leadership program, you have to take the prep course, and that's the the course that um, lets you qualify to take the exam. Mm-hmm. So there's a financial side and there's a, a management accounting side to the to that prep course, and it's a um, it's a six month or 
eight-month thing. I forget how long it was. It was like, yeah, maybe an eight-month eight course. And I failed the financial. Oh. So, and I, and I failed the financial by like 4%, something like oh, that. No. Right? And I'm thinking, <laughs> right? So here's another six months I've got to, because I got to get four, at least four to six months that I've got to do to come back and do the financial. But I was at the AG's office and um, they were supporting me to do this. And uh, I, so, so uh, I didn't think about stopping for long because I really wanted it, right? I, re- yeah. I, really, I really wanted to, to get through that. And in the end, um, that was probably a good thing. It slowed me down, but uh, it forced me back into it and forced me to have to know it. And, 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 you know, if you don't know something, you don't know something, but it made me do it. Amazing that you're able to come back from that because I think many other people might have said, okay, well, maybe that's not for me. Maybe I should move on. <laughs> I'm curious to know about uh, your uh, experience as an online learner versus uh, blended learning versus being in person, which you were for 20 months. Was there a learning method that you preferred? Was there something that was harder or easier about one of those methods from your perspective? Well, there's pros and cons to both to all of those methods. I mean, in, in, in person is great unless you have a bad instructor. I mean, a, a, bad, in, a, a bad person in the front of the room is, is, is brutal um, or somebody that doesn't get you. Um, online is, 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 the CFE was all, all online and uh, the beauty of that was it was self-paced and you could, you could work your way through it when you wanted to, if you wanted to at three o'clock in the morning, whatever, right? You could do some work on that. Um, but then the the thing with the the CFE was there wasn't a lot of support if you had questions or problems or things like you had to go dig and find your own. So you didn't have anybody who sort of got the way you're understanding things who could put it in your language. So there's 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 pros and cons. That I think the ideal is the blended, right? Mm-hmm. I think the ideal is that you know you have some 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 ability to have control over the reading that you have to do and the things that you you have to have to sort of learn by book and then you get somebody who's who's a human being with the experience or the knowledge to to help frame it for you and to try understand how you're getting it and and uh, and actually help help land it for you yeah i totally agree i think it's uh it's a good mix to have that um, and thinking back to your first degree in your mm-hmm. 20s mm-hmm. and then going back to school in your 40s, mm-hmm. what were the big differences for you? <laughs> well, um, I was a young guy in my 20s taking a liberal arts degree at a university. So confession is I was really there for the girls <laughs> and for the parties and uh, for, for, for a good time. Uh, back then, uh, a liberal arts degree was, I think, a little different. And the pressure that uh, we faced to go to school was different than, than it is, I think, on what I'm seeing. My, we've got some 20-year-old kids now and what I'm seeing they're going through in terms of the pressures that they face. So, you know, the environment at the university was, was quite, quite different. Uh, but again, I was in the drama department. So, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was a good time. It, the, and not to make it sound like it was flip and everybody was, was fooling around all the time because there is a lot of rigor. There is a lot of, um, a lot of people think theater, oh, there's, you, you guys are playing all the time and maybe the word play doesn't, doesn't help us. But there's a lot of discipline and rigor and skill and uh, because it's so highly scripted. And uh, so, you know, the department is a serious educational place. I don't want to minimize that. 
Um, other changes, I guess, would have uh, the the technology, a just the tools that you have as a learner uh, and as a student were, were completely different um, than they uh, than they are uh, when, than they were when I was in my twenties. Yeah. So the one the one thing that I think I would have never done the MBA had I not had the BA. Had I gotten to like forty and said, okay, I want to get another education, I would have never said, okay, well, now I'm going to go do a four-year undergrad mm-hmm. and then a two-year master's degree uh, at that age. I would have never done that. So had I not had that BA in my back pocket uh, from earlier on, I would have tried to, f- I would have done something else. Right. So it was a great stepping stone for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what, what was your family thinking about all this change that was happening with you in your 40s? Do they have any perspective on, on any of that? My dad was thrilled because he never really viewed the arts as being real work, right? Oh. For him, it was uh, uh, get a job. I mean, get a real job. When are you going to grow up? So mm-hmm. I was starting to grow up, so so he was very happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> and are you done with school, or do you think there might be something else down the road that you might want to pursue one day? I'm done with trying to get more letters or any of that. Um, as a, 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 my accounting certification requires me to do prof- uh, professional development, so I have a certain amount of uh, training that I have to do. This place has got me doing some training and some professional development work around leadership and management skills, et cetera, which is kind of cool. So I'm always going to be taking something, but uh, uh, I don't think I'm going to I'm not, I'm not going to do a PhD. I'm not going <laughs> to do another master's. Or, or, you have a lot of letters or, already. Or anything. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to do that. Thank you, you. You're covered on the letter front. I'm, I'm covered, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Oh. Now, I know that you're uh, still very connected to the arts world, and you do a lot in that world um, on a volunteer basis. Do you want to mm-hmm. tell us about some of that? Well, I'm I'm starting to wrap up. I'm, I'm going to have... I'm a, approaching I think my last meeting as a board member at CKUA radio I was I've been there for 60 years I was chair for a little while uh, prior to that I was on Firefly Theater and Circus Board for a decade way too long uh, I volunteer at the odd things but uh, most of it uh, most of my arts involvement has been sort of as a board board member mm-hmm. uh, type person so yeah, it's a nice way to bring all those business skills to to the arts world. Yeah, I often get asked to be the treasurer. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> because, geez, you know what that piece of paper means. <laughs> so. Oh, and Daryl, just before we wrap up, what advice do you have for other folks who might be facing that midlife crisis moment and perhaps contemplating a journey back to the classroom? Hmm. Well, it, contemplating a journey back to the classroom doesn't have to be uh, catalyzed by a midlife crisis. So don't wait until you crash <laughs> if you don't want to. I think I think there's a couple of reasons to go back to school. Well, one is for people who who know what their career path is and they're wanting to, you know, they're in healthcare or they're in whatever industry they are in and they know that, you know, in order to take the next step or to advance or to improve uh, they should go get a whatever. You know, a, a lot of guys get their executive MBA if they're working for a place that can pay for it or want it, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's a, if if, if you actually do know where you want to go and do know what road you want to be on, the, the education is generally a piece of that. So that's a good one. If, if you need to, like, change it up and uh, if you need to to 
to, to like figure out something else or do something else. And you're not driven by some sort of passion. Like one of the things I noticed in the arts or I, I respected and admired in the arts is there are people who do that who have absolutely no choice but to do what they're doing. It doesn't matter how much work there is or how little money there is. They have to do that. And I think you find that in many professions. Teachers teach another profession that are like that. Um, but if you don't have that and you're not on some sort of career path with 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 an oil company or something, um, school is a really good place to go and look and to maybe take a little bit of that liberal arts view and say, hey, what's this, what's that, what's that? It's a safe environment. It's an environment where everybody who's there wants you to succeed. Uh, it's a place where people aren't you know, trying to trash you. Um, and, and it's interesting. It's fun. And it's dynamic. But don't wait for a crisis. Don't wait for the crisis. Don't I think, wait I think for the that's crisis. the big message there. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, Daryl, I want to say thank you so much for being here on the podcast today and sharing your journey. It's been fascinating chatting with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. No matter what stage of learning you're at, Norquest College offers options to help you start a career, upgrade for further education, improve language skills, or prepare for employment. Health, business, community studies, hospitality, fire and safety. These are just some of the areas that Norquest College covers with its wide range of programs. So if you're looking for relevant education, an inclusive environment and an unforgettable learning experience, Norquest College has got you covered. Check out norquest.ca for more details. Now back to our show. I meet many of the guests on the show for the first time when they walk through the doors of the studio. That's not the case with Daryl. We've known each other for years, and I always enjoy talking with him about careers, the arts, life in general. He's a super interesting person, not the boring accountant stereotype at all. There was something that Daryl said in our chat, and I felt the words leaping over the table at me, and I knew immediately this is what I wanted to unpack in more detail. I was asking him about how to keep work-life balance, and he had a great response around managing your own expectations and the idea of a 75% academic baseline. That was the bar he set for himself, and he wasn't going to be disappointed as long as he achieved this reasonable level of competency. In my work life, I'm a 75% kind of gal. I've always believed that getting it mostly right and fast to market is better than obsessing over perfection and missing the opportunity. That if you nail everything perfectly, you're not taking enough risks or trying big enough things. I coach my team to embrace this philosophy. And it's not that we wouldn't strive to do well and be the best we could be, but we wouldn't let our quest for the elusive perfect stop us from getting things done, because done is better than perfect. And in my own history, I have a less than stellar academic record. So you think I'd be good with 75 or 80% marks? I'd like to say that's the case, but so far at least, it hasn't been. In fact, Despite some really good marks so far, I find myself obsessing over letter grades. If I get an assignment back and it's not meeting my own standards, my first reaction is disappointment. And while I get over it and I look for the areas to improve, I genuinely like to be happy with 75 or 80%. If I truly believed I'd put in the work and did the best I could given everything on my plate, work, school, life, but that was the result, then I want to be really okay with that. Right now, it's an emotional hit. In the workplace, you're somewhat assessed on your performance, and poor performance over time will lead to negative consequences. 
but it's not so clinical. You don't see your work directly attached to a letter grade and a number. One of my bigger goals in life is to try and find contentment in the journey and not be so attached to outcomes in all areas of life. Sometimes you put in the work, you do everything you can to drive a particular outcome, and it still doesn't happen. That's life, and that's still learning. Being okay with good enough and not driving yourself insane on the quest for perfection, that's a much healthier approach. So thanks for the advice, Daryl. I'm working on it. That's our show today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like the show, please give us a rating. It helps other people connect to us. You can reach me at backtoschoolagain.ca or at schoolagainpod on all the usual social channels. I'd love to hear your story. Back to School Again was recorded at the Norquest College Innovation Studio, located on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional homeland of First Nations and Métis peoples. A huge thanks to our sponsor, Norquest College, for supporting the show and to our talented technical producer, Corey Stroder. Back to School Again is proud to be affiliated with the Alberta Podcast Network. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. See you next time.